0: T-Rex and dinosaurs and huge sharks and, of course, Godzilla and zombies and aliens and monsters and mutants. Uh, It's been big business for them, and we don't mind being scared as long as we know that the fear is fictional, but it's quite another thing when the fear is real, um, like COVID-19 virus. And I'm sure as well for you as it has been for me the last few weeks of tracking the new worldwide virus has provided a new demonstration of something I already knew, that fear factor is a very powerful, very powerful issue in our lives. Uh, Reports almost daily from the CDC, from the WHO, have made it painfully obvious that the danger of the COVID-19 virus is real. And so are our fears. Two pandemics have broken out. One is the COVID-19 and the other I have called and dubbed fear 24-7 to give it a number because really it just never goes away. In fact, maybe increases daily with the news reports and things that are taking place around the world. Um, this past Thursday, and, and perhaps many of you have already shared an experience like this, my wife and I went to Walmart and uh, we had an experience, a live personal experience of the nature that we all have in times of fear to seek control when fear invades our life. And you walk around the store and it's incredibly crowded as well as the parking lot as you can imagine or experience yourself. And everybody's buying up all the water bottles. All the groceries have been snapped up. Antibacterial soap is not to be found, not to mention toilet paper. Um, Flights have been canceled Uh, Borders have been closed, the Dow is plummeting, schools and universities across America and the world are closing, many of them, for the remainder of the semester. E-learning or remote learning is taking its place. Uh, Businesses, small and large, are sending the vast majority of their workers home to work remotely, and it might be an understatement to say, but fear has impacted the world in a way that is actually affecting our global economy. I've had people call me on the phone and say tens of thousands of dollars is what they've lost already in some of their retirement funds because of the economic hardship that the virus has placed on our world. And many of them fear that for months or maybe even years to come, uh, they will not get that retirement fund back. With that and many other fears, it's obvious that we need to ask and answer the question, well, what do we do with all of that fear? How do we function in a world that is practically giving into what might be dubbed or called a fear frenzy? How do we handle it without letting it paralyze us? Well, that's where Acts 18 comes in. Paul is in Corinth and he's planning a church He, like he does every city that he goes through the book of Acts. He gives the gospel um, and like every other city, there's always a threat of imminent danger. And in this case, is no different. In Corinth, he has the fear of the Jews and the Gentiles. He's afraid that if he keeps speaking and being bold in his witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, that they're going to run him out of town or perhaps Even worse. I mean, the first eight verses kind of give us a rundown of what is making him afraid. At first, it looks good because he meets up with Aquila and Priscilla, fellow tent makers. He stays with them. He has somebody to help him out in the ministry and the things that he's doing. And then eventually, a few verses later, uh, in verse five, Timothy and Silas come from Macedonia. And so he's got a little bit of a team with him, but yet the fears don't subside. He has people with him, but he's still uncertain about how things are going to turn out. And here's why, because he first of all, as his pattern is, goes to Jewish people and he tries to reach them in the synagogue. And by and large, most of them reject him. In fact, it says in the verse that they actually oppose him, that they're against what he's saying. So he makes the statement that he's innocent of all the blood that they might uh, be, their lives and all the things that they're doing to reject the Lord Jesus Christ and he turns to the Gentiles and the Gentiles begin to receive him and he mentions by name a man named Justice who receives him and then there's a guy the Bible says in verse number eight I believe it is he says that there's a guy that comes down his name is Crispus and he's the ruler of the synagogue so a, a chief Jewish people a person accepts the Lord as his Savior, and a number of Gentiles. In fact, one guy's home, who's a Gentile, is right next to the synagogue. So it's kind of like a powder keg. He's got a couple of Jewish people, a lot of Greek people. The synagogue's upset with him because it's divided. The people who go there are rejecting, but the ruler is accepting. And like almost every city, Paul has attempted to start a church There's a lot of tension and there's a lot of conflict. And he's just not sure how it's all going to turn out. It's a volatile situation. And so we ask of the text and the Lord gives us the, how is Paul going to handle it? But let me say, how are you going to handle it? See, his his threat was violence. Our threat is a virus. And we can learn from Paul how to handle it. But let me ask you today. How are you handling it? You might say, well, my fear is my small company is rocked so desperately by the virus and the cancellation of orders to my small company and the events, and I'm afraid that the company's going to fold or minimally I'm going to lose my job. Fear of being vulnerable because of your age or your health condition that you might be more likely than others uh, to contact the virus. Fear of my friends or relatives in another country who are much at much higher risk to get the virus than perhaps other people because of the location, and you're so far away from them, it's, you, you really feel awful because there's really nothing you can do to help. Fear of having to figure out, hey, how am I going to handle this situation because now my kids are going to be home maybe weeks at a time, I have a job, and maybe I've been sent home to do my job. But I've got to do my job to keep us afloat, but I also got to watch my children at home at the same time. How how am I going to do that? How am I going to do that long term? Fear is inevitable, isn't it? And ironically, it is unpredictable. How we handle it, however, is not. And in this text in Acts 18, the Lord Jesus gives Paul and us a very practical lesson on how that we can handle the fears That we face. The two key verses, of course, you might have guessed as we read it earlier, are verses 9 and 10. And Paul is given by Jesus in a vision at night this imperative, this little staccato like burst of encouragement. And he says, Paul, do not be afraid. It's a present imperative and literally could be translated and it is don't go on being afraid any longer. See, he's not just trying to keep Paul from fearing. Paul is already afraid. He's afraid of whether he'll be attacked. He's afraid of whether he's going to get beaten again, whether he's going to be imprisoned or worse. And Paul is worried about his own life and his own future. And that's why the Lord comes to him in a vision, and says, "Paul, don't be afraid." That's why in the Bible, the little phrase "Fear not," is mentioned 365 times. The reality of that is that Paul's greatest battle and your and my greatest battle, believe it or not, in times like this, is not what's taking place outside of us, namely our foes, whether violence. Or a virus. See, the greatest battle that you and I are going to face in these days and weeks ahead is not outside of us, but inside of us. Not our foes, but our fears. And those fears are 24-7. The virus and our fear, see, they're both contagious. They both spread. If we get around people so close to us, they're out of control with fear. It's a pandemic in our society right now people are being paralyzed by it how do you keep from being paralyzed from it how do you start thinking about others and not just yourself in a very difficult time like this well here's the answer the text reads in verse 9 don't be afraid don't keep on being afraid don't go on being afraid but and, and and that's an important word because it's a very striking strong contrast here's what the Lord is saying don't do this, but do this. Don't go on fearing, but go on speaking. See, Paul's fear was resulting, or could have, he could have been tempted to have it result in this, that he was not going to talk about Jesus anymore, that he wasn't going to witness anymore, that he wasn't going to preach the gospel anymore because it was becoming too dangerous for him. So positively, here's what God says in the middle of his fear. Don't stop speaking. Stop fearing, but don't stop speaking. You know, someone has said that sometimes silence is golden, but often silence can just be yellow, meaning that we just give in to our fears. And in Paul's case, if he would have given in to his fears, the gospel would have been silenced. Think about your own life. Have you ever, ever faced being frozen, or paralyzed by fear. I remember, and I've told this story before, that our family had a garden. And we had tomato plants and all kinds of vegetables in our garden. And I remember one summer, my dad was weeding, and, or I was weeding, and my dad was looking at some of the plants and looking about how they were progressing and growing. And he leaned over uh, a tomato plant. And then when he stood back up next to me, he had this very big black and yellow spider And I don't know if you fear spiders, but my dad and I certainly do. And he didn't know it was on his shirt, but it caught my eye immediately. And I tried to warn him. I tried to point. I couldn't get any words to come out of my mouth. And all I could do was point because I was paralyzed by fear. And eventually my dad saw it. And of course, he started slapping himself and jumping around, and almost falling on the ground. But look, I couldn't say it. You know why? Because the fear of spiders was pretty real and paralyzing in my life worse than that is I remember my dad was big into having four-wheel drive vehicles although we lived in Ohio and we got snow from time to time but it wasn't terribly much but um, my dad loved those types of vehicles and so we had a jeep and it had four wheel drive and it was my job as a 17 year old junior in high school to drive my little sister with me to our Christian school and I remember going near the overpass one day and I remember I, I, I we had a jeep And I had four-wheel drive on. And I didn't see much snow on the road. But what I didn't prepare for was a big sheet of ice that we drove over. And when I hit that ice and the back end of our Jeep started turning around and we started going in circles, I paralyzed. I didn't know what to do. I literally almost took my hands off the wheel. And we just spun and spun three or four times. And we ended up completely on the other side of the road. But thank the Lord there weren't any cars coming at that time in the morning. But listen, you know what? When that car starts spinning and you feel out of control and you can't do anything with the brake or the, the steering wheel to get it back under control, it, it is a fearful thing and it paralyzes you. You don't know what's going to happen at the end. And and maybe that's what's happening in your life this morning. Maybe that's how you're feeling. It's almost like you think you've got your hands on the wheel. You think you're going to do everything you can. But you know what the Bible says that you maybe, Um, You're getting paralyzed by fear. In fact, psychologists call this the freeze response, that you get stopped in your tracks. You don't do all the things that you should do, and you start doing things that you shouldn't do. And maybe as you listen to this message this morning, you can identify with it because you feel what it means to be like to be frozen by the fear of failure. Failure at your job, you didn't get the promotion, failure that if you try to do certain things that you unite and you've been failures at other failure at other times in your life. You you can remember this and I, I didn't get this and I didn't do this and I didn't get this degree and this education, maybe a feel, a failure a failure in your relationships. And you know what? You said I'm not putting myself out there anymore. I'm not gonna love people, I'm not doing anything on you. I'm gonna do everything that I can control. Maybe it's that you're frozen by the fear of commitment. And I, I've seen people counsel people that are fearful in, the, in commitment, and they, they keep getting engaged, but they never get married because they're afraid. They're afraid of what if I can't be the husband or wife God wants me to be, and then I become a parent and I have children, and, what, and, and we get frozen by the fear of commitment, frozen by the fear of rejection. And Maybe there's young people and see you go to high school or you go to school every day and you're frozen by the fear of rejection. You don't want to give in. You don't want to dress that way. You don't want to act that way, talk that way like everybody else. But you also don't want to be rejected. You want to be accepted. You want everybody's approval. Um, you want at least some level of popularity in your life. But the fear of being rejected, it paralyzes us sometimes, doesn't it? Frozen by the fear of death. Right? I think that it's on our minds. Um, I hate to say it, but there are a number of people, we need to pray for them, that have died as a result of the virus. And everybody thinks the worst case scenario of what might happen if they got it. And it's easy to be able to be frozen by the fear of death. But you, you fill in the blank, frozen by And there's lots of fears that we could fill in the blank with. But the Bible says, listen, you don't have to be frozen by fear. You don't have to be paralyzed by the uncertainty and the instability of what lies ahead. And the reasons are, as Jesus gives to Paul in this text, there are two of them. And they are marked off. You can read them in the text and see them for yourself. Uh, by the little word, for. Can you see him there in verse 9? Do not be afraid. Go on speaking. Don't be silent. And then see the next verse, number 10. For, first one, before, for I am with you. See, that's the first reason that you and I don't have to be frozen by fear. For I am with you. Jesus wants Paul to know, and he wants you and I to know, that in our greatest times of fear, we don't have to freeze up because you are not alone you're not alone I'll tell you something about myself all the way through high school my mom and dad went my dad went on business trips a lot and sometimes my mom would go with them as my sister went my sisters grew up and left the house my junior and senior year my mom would I'd be at home they'd be at a, a business dinner or even a couple times overnight and I stayed by myself that you know you turn off you know it gets dark at night and You leave the lights on. Why? Because it's a little bit spooky. Have you ever had that when you were a kid? And if you're honest, admit it, you still have that problem. Um, You stay up a little bit later than you normally would. Why? Because you're just not quite sleepy yet because you're kind of trying to control things. And every noise in the house is magnified, isn't it? A little creak, a little movement of the house, and you feel it, and you go, oh, who's there? What's going on out there? And then it didn't help ever when my parents would leave and I'd be there overnight by myself. It's almost like they were trying to make me afraid. And they would do this by preparing things for me. And my parents' parting instructions were, Here's a piece of paper on the refrigerator. It has all the emergency numbers in case you need them, including the hospital. I go, Mom, I'm not, not going to need that. But there they are in case you need to call so-and-so. And make sure when you're at home at night, you lock all the doors because there are strangers out there. Don't open the door for anyone you don't know. Thank you for that encouragement. And if you have any problems, and then she'd list a bunch of them, And then she'd say, but whatever you do, don't ever do. And then she'd list some of those. So by the time they're leaving, I'm going like, okay, I'm going to die. There's nothing, I'm not living through this overnight experience. But you know what feels better is when my mom and dad would say, here's all those instructions, but you can have so-and-so, your friend, come over and stay with you. And my friend Chris Walter was about 6'6", and he was huge, and You could put all those instructions out there, all those things that would possibly scare someone, and they all seemed to kind of go away when he came over and he stepped in and said, Yeah, I'm staying with you tonight. It made a difference. You know why? Because it's far better when you're not alone. Isn't that true? I mean, the only two times in the entire book of Acts that the little phrase do not be afraid is used are both in the life of the Apostle Paul. One is obviously in the text that I'm giving to you today. The second one is found in Acts 27 in verses 23 and 24 when Paul is on a big ship chained to a Roman centurion on his way to Rome to give testimony to Caesar and the Bible says that God appears to him in the night and says every single one in this ship is going to go overboard. The ship's not just going to sink it's going to be shattered on the rocks and everything in the ship's going to be lost but in the middle of all of that here's what Paul is said of Paul in Acts 27 24 this very night there stood before me an angel of the God listen to this to whom I belong in the middle of the storm when everything was going overboard The ship was going to be torn apart into pieces. They were going to be thrown into water, and it looked horrific. Here's what God says to Paul's heart. You belong to me. You belong to me. See, I'm going to be with you, Paul. It doesn't matter what's going on around you doesn't matter if it's a storm. It doesn't matter whether it's Jews and Gentiles in Corinth who you think might do something to you. He says it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. Here's what you can find safety and security in. You are not alone. You don't have to be frozen by fear. And the reason is, is because the Lord is with me. Our God is so awesome that he is not just a transcendent God, which means his omnipresence makes him everywhere. It's far more than that. The comfort in God's omnipresence is not so much that he's transcendent and is everywhere, but that he is omnipresence means that he is not only everywhere, but he is right here. He is in the boat with Paul when it's going down. He is in Corinth when Paul fears that his very life may be over. So when you hear in Scripture... That God says, don't be afraid, I am with you. It doesn't mean in general that God is somewhere out there. It means that he is right here with you in your personal difficulty, in your problem, in your hardship, and in your fear. See, I am with you is God's signature promise. And it has been to all of the great men and women of faith throughout all the Old Testament and obviously into the New. Abraham had his own set of fears. God promised him a great nation and his seed would be multiplied like the sand of the seashore. But Abraham was afraid it wasn't going to happen. And the older he got, the more afraid he got. And in Genesis 26, 64, God comes to him with the signature promise in the middle of infertility. And here's what he says to him. Don't be afraid. I am with you. And I'm going to give you offspring that will be as the sand of the sea Jacob probably had no right because of the way he lived most of his life. To have the signature promise be his. But at Bethel, when he saw the ladder going to heaven, here's what God said even to Jacob, who wasn't nearly as golly as he should have been. God says to him, I am with you. Moses, Exodus 3, you're going to face Pharaoh? Don't worry. You know why? Why? I am with you. Joshua, the conquest of Canaan, cities that are bigger than you've ever seen, giants in the land, foes that are greater than you've ever fought because you've never fought anybody, and you don't have to be afraid of any of that. You know why, Joshua? Because I'm with you. Gideon, I know you think you're nothing, but you're a mighty man of valor, and nobody's been able to stand up to the Midianites, but you can. You know why? Not because you're great, Gideon, not at all, but because I'm with you. The 12 disciples were given the greatest task of anyone in all of history up until that point, and that was to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So the very last thing, the, one of the very last statements that Jesus ever makes in this world is to his disciples, for lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. You see, there is no greater assurance. There is no greater confidence that God can give us than the very signature promise of Jesus, which is this. I am with you. I am with you in your personal fears. And as you're watching this morning, maybe it's the fear of divorce. You've tried to reconcile your marriage and work through it, and now it's falling apart, and you don't know what that means for your future, for your children's future. You don't know what the ramifications of that are going to be. Can I tell you this? God says, and I'll be with you through that. The fear of being a single mom, holding down two jobs at a time, working crazy hours, not sure the impact it's having on your children. How are you going to do this long term? God says, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Fear of financial problems. How are I going to make it? Pay my bills. Meet my mortgage. God says, don't be afraid. I'm going to be with you. And There's more. Verse 9 says, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. And, listen to this, tacking on to the Lord's presence, and that's the first reason we don't have to fear the Lord's presence. He says, And no one will attack you to harm you. The Lord's presence results in the Lord's protection. You see what he says? He says, No one's going to lay their hands on you. That's what the word attack means. You're afraid they're going to beat you. No one's going to touch you. And I control that he says, and no one's going to harm you. The word means to mistreat or injure. See, here's what God does. He wants to stack up the promises. Here's what he says to calm Paul's fears. The first one is, you're not alone. The second one is, believe it or not, this is good. You are not in control. Paul, you can't control people. You can't predict what they're going to do. But I can. I can. You see, the Lord's protection flows out of the Lord's presence. And what Paul found out, and what you and I need to find out more thoroughly and depend on, is that Jesus alone is ultimately the source of our safety and security. David Pollison, who passed away about a year ago as a counselor, he had this definition of fear. Fear is a prediction of the future that does not take into the account The sovereignty of a good God. See, Paul didn't have to be frozen by fear, and neither do you and I, because God is in control. Now see, you can spray your oils, you can take your vitamin C, you can bathe in Perel, you can drink your elderberry, but you don't dictate what happens. There was a video I watched this week And it showed a bunch of young people taking all the precautions they could uh, to keep from getting the coronavirus. And some were even wrapping themselves fully, fully in plastic. Now, that may be overboard for a lot of us, but it's certainly good to be wise, isn't it? We need to be wise, but we need to realize that ultimately control is in the hand of Jesus alone. Pastor Walker, that's well and good, and you're supposed to say that because you're the pastor, right? Right? how much in control is he really though? Well, look at the text. It lays it out very specifically. It says this in verse 10. I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you. Listen, circle it. No one. You know what that means? That God controls every single person in Corinth. Even possibility of someone attacking or hurting or harming Paul wasn't going to happen because God said it wasn't going to happen. Now look. He controls unbelievers in the text. People who will be sinful, God controls them. People who want to attack him, harm him, God says, don't worry, Paul, I got that under control. See, God controls unbelievers. He controls the unbelievers in your life. People who would want you to, to lose your job. People who, and you name the situation, God controls all the unbelievers in your life. And, and we need to pray for our missionaries. You know why? Because they're in situations and they're in places that are very difficult, and not everyone, Thessalonians says, has faith. And it could be a very difficult and dangerous time for more than one reason for our missionaries. But can I tell you this? God is in control as a good God, a sovereign God, all unbelievers, sinful people, And what they won't do, God says, I'll make sure they don't do certain things. But even watch this, God is also in control of believers. At the end of the text, it says, for in this city, I have many people. And he's alluding to, according to most commentators, about the people through Paul's ministry, if he didn't shut his mouth about the gospel, who would come to know Jesus as their Savior. Here's what he says, Paul, you don't have to be afraid because I'm going to save a lot of Corinthians and I'm going to build up some people and together God's going to take care of you. So see, God has every person under control unbelievers and what they won't do believers and what they will do sinful people saved people here's how we can rest in God he has every person and every circumstance that goes with every person under his sovereign control this is a time for all of us we wish we were in more control we wish we could do more but the truth is what we need to do is trust more believe more, and let God be in control. Charles Spurgeon, the British preacher, said this, there is no such thing as a maverick molecule. Do you know that God's not only in control of people, but he's in control of viruses? He is. The doctors may not have a cure, but God does. They may not be able to control it, but he can. And God wants us to know these things. Number one, you're not alone. Number two, know this, you are not in control. But thirdly, and believe it or not, perhaps the most difficult one, God says to Paul, here's how you handle fear. You are not the focus. You are not the focus of all of this. Verse 10 says, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you. Second four, see the little F-O-R? Here's the second reason you have to be frozen by fear. For I have many in this city who are my people. You know what, God's main concern in Paul's danger and the risks that he was facing and the fears that he was going through in his life? You know what, his main concern was not just Paul, but people. Specifically, people who didn't know Jesus. God's presence and God's protection, listen to me, are for God's purposes. He doesn't just willy-nilly say, hey, I'm going to keep you from all harm, and I'm going to be with you. You know, you know what he does? And here's the pattern throughout the Bible. I, if I'm with you and you're with me, and you're living for me, and you're living out my design for your life, and you're doing what my word asks you to do, see, my presence will involve my protection as I see fit because you are fulfilling my purposes. You know, there are seven different visions in the book of Acts. Chapter 9 has two of them, one to Saul when he gets saved in the Damascus road, one to Ananias to go talk to him. One is for Cornelius so the Gentiles can be accepted. Two of them are to Peter about how he's to go about that. And the last two, the one that we're talking about today, and the one about the shipwreck in chapter 20. You see, all of them, every single vision. You know why they're in the Bible? Because they are... God coming to his people to direct them in the next step of world evangelization. So can I tell you, as vital and important as the world virus is right now, there's even something more important than that and a a greater battle going on, and that is world evangelization. The question, and I understand why, the world is asking right now is this. How does coronavirus affect me? What the church should be asking, that question is, how does coronavirus affect mission? Because believe it or not, this is our opportunity. This is an opportunity for you and I as Christians not to focus on ourselves only, but to focus on others. To look around us at the needs of others inside our church community and the needs that people have and even more so perhaps outside of our community, to people who need to hear the gospel. Because know this, the coronavirus is not just a health issue, it is a heart issue. And the worst thing that could happen to someone is not that they get the virus. The worst thing is they could die without Christ. And you and I have the opportunity and the God-given platform at times to be able to to take conversations about the virus and what's going to happen and turn those conversations to Jesus. See, for us, we are fighting fear. The world is too, but they don't know it, but they need to fight for faith. They need to fight to find their faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're listening in and you're watching for the very first time, or maybe it's been a long time since you've been with us, and you're watching today and you're scared and you're not sure what to do, can I tell you this? You need to find Jesus in all of this. And you may be looking for someone to come up with the cure for the virus, but the more important thing is the cure for sin is in Jesus. It was through his death and resurrection and all that he has accomplished as God for us that we can have the certainty and we can have the peace and we can know that God is with us. It's an occasion for the gospel. Paul put it this way in Philippians 1.12, the things that have happened unto me, and in his context it was prison, The things that have happened unto me have happened under the furtherance of the gospel. As a Christian, his perspective was everything that happened in his life had to do with the gospel. May we have the courage, the humility, and the love to see this as that same opportunity for you and I to make it about Jesus. It's too easy, isn't it? It's too easy for us to focus on ourselves and our needs and our food and our well-being and our family. We should, of course, do those things, but not to the point where we think so much about our physical needs that we forget about the spiritual needs of others. And it's my prayer, and I hope you'll join me in that prayer, as we think about the needs of others, especially their need of Christ. As we conclude our service today, I'd like you to watch a beautiful video, a worship video, Especially pay attention to the words. It's by Phil Wickham. It's a song, Safe. And we know and can watch today and see that that safety that we we search for and we desire only comes from Jesus. When the video is over, I'll close this in a word of prayer. you'll join us tonight at six o'clock we'll be live streaming again for our evening service let's close in prayer father safety is not the absence of danger it is the presence of the lord i pray that for our people who know you they might have this confidence that they'll be safe in your arms and for those who might be watching today who don't have that confidence who've never come to have a relationship you would by faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, that you might so, by your word and spirit, work in their hearts, that they might come to know eternal safety through the blood of our Savior. And we'll thank you for that. In his name we ask it. Amen.